to you guys. Uh, good afternoon. I hope you're doing okay, doing well, having a good week so far. If you're on a spring break, uh, hope you had a good break, good restful time. But I heard uh, students had a lot of work to do, so hopefully you can get some, get some catch up on sleep tonight, maybe. Uh, but um, we will go into time of the word together. Uh, today's passage is found in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 11. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles with me, um, please turn to Philippians 3, uh, verses 1 through 11. Are you ready for us? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, but is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So, word of the Lord, let me pray for us. We're going to the sermon together. Heavenly Father, um, God, we come to you, the mighty God, and yet so gracious, so welcoming. We think of the story of prodigal son, how the father ran out to greet and welcome back the prodigal son. What a tender heart that you have for us, Lord. We come to you, not because we're perfect, not because we're ready, but simply because your grace draws us. So even through this time, God, as we hear your word, may this time be a gracious time where even though our hearts are not complete, May we get to hear your word and be transformed and be pierced and um, be in awe of your love for us and your guidance for us, God. May Christ be everything during this time. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for today's message is The Surpassing Worth of Knowing Christ. The Surpassing Worth of Knowing Christ. Uh, three points for us. Uh, first, know Christ alone. Second, know Christ more. Third, know Christ deeper. As you can see from these titles, um, again, knowing Christ is our objective for today. So first, know Christ alone. Verse 2 says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Some strong language here, but Paul is apparently warning the Philippian church that he's writing to about certain people who uh, might endanger, endanger them. I hear Paul is talking about a group of people that we will call uh, Judaizers. Uh, these group, this group of people uh, are actually quite well-known in the New Testament. They were well-known opponents of Paul in the churches. Uh, and they were supposedly Christians of Jewish origin you know, who went around the churches telling people, especially the non-Jews, namely Gentiles, uh, that they must become Jews first, ethnically, in order to follow Christ. You know, they would, of course, tell people to trust in Christ, but they would also tell them to get circumcised and follow, you know, the Old Testament and, you know, Jewish uh, customs and rules in order to experience spiritual growth and eventually uh, be accepted by God on the judgment day. You see, the, by teaching this doctrine, uh, this group was, in effect, saying that trusting in Christ was not sufficient for salvation. And because of that, Paul is furious. And he doesn't mince any words here. So first, he calls this group dogs. And now it will be helpful for us to not think of cute puppies, but we ought to think of rather stray dogs. And in the first century at the time, these stray dogs were a symbol of impurity because, as you can imagine, you know, they were you know, feeding on garbage and dung. And uh, in, in fact, Jews would often call Gentiles dogs too because they felt superior to them you know, morally and ceremonially. And, but look here, ironically, Paul is calling these Jews dogs. He's, he's basically saying that Spiritually speaking, you guys, Judaizers, are, are the impure ones, not the Gentiles. And second, similarly, Paul calls them evildoers. It's, it's ironic too because Jews often, you know, prided themselves of being good because of their, you know, moral practices. But again, Paul calls them, you know, evildoers because spiritually speaking, they are evil. And the third and last, he calls them people who mutilate the flesh. This phrase, uh, mutilate the flesh, uh, is a play on words in Greek, actually. It, it sounds similar to the word for circumcision. So Paul is really insulting them here. You know, circumcision was the sign in Old Testament of God's covenant and blessings for Israel. And it was their badge of honor and pride. But Paul is saying that the, the Judaizers' circumcision has no spiritual value uh, 
so that they're simply, when they, you know, circumcising themselves, they're simply mutilating, mutil, uh, mutilating the flesh and inflicting unnecessary pain on their flesh because there's no use. Again, insult. And in response, the Judaizers might say, why? Why are you calling out these names? Then Paul replied in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Meaning that we, you know, those who trust in Christ alone for salvation, are the spiritual circumcision. That the true covenant people of God who receive God's blessings and promises and acceptance. And, and he says you know, that we worship not you know, ritualistically in the Old Testament temple, but we worship from our hearts and from our, all of our lives through the Holy Spirit, meaning God accepts this worship. Like we saw in John 4 when Jesus was talking with the Samaritan woman. God accepts those who worship in spirit and truth. That's who we are, those who trust in Christ alone. And then Paul also says, we glory or boast in Christ for our salvation, not in flesh or human practices like circumcision or keeping rules. So in other words, Paul here is saying that those who trust in Christ alone are the real deals. You know, they're the legit ones. They have God's seal of approval. On the other hand, the, the Judaizers who claim to be legit are actually fake and empty of any real spiritual value. And here, by saying these things, Paul is really protecting, you see, the, the Philippian church from the lies and claims of these Judaizers that might be breathing some threats to this church. As you know, I grew up in Korea um, in my childhood. And when I was growing up in Korea, uh, there were a lot of uh, fake brands there. Uh, I think it's because the people there care a lot about you know, brand names. So I think some companies were trying to take advantage of that and trying to make profit out of that. And now I found the following uh, fake brand names online. And apparently some of them are actually from China, not Korea, but here it is. There is nice for Nike. There is uh, there's coma for Puma. There is corks for Crocs. And lastly, there is Pizza Hut for Pizza Hut. And they sound funny, uh, but if you look at the, the pictures of like the logos that these fake companies made, uh, they actually look pretty genuine. If you don't look closely, uh, you'll be you know, totally fooled. And you might buy them and you know, you'll be wasting your money because you know, oftentimes these fake brands have really bad quality, right? Likewise, the Judaizers in our passage were promoting a fake version of Christianity. And the Philippians, if they didn't you know, discern well, they might get sucked into the fake, empty teaching uh, of Christianity and 
know, suffer spiritually. That's what Paul is saying here. And, and I think this principle applies to us in 21st century as well. And to be sure, you know, we may not encounter, you know, Judaizers per se in person. But I think it's also easy for any secular, you know, non-biblical ideas from the culture to seep into the life of the church and Christian lives and make us suffer. I have two examples. One, you know, materialism and consumerism. Um, you know, these days we can buy anything, you know, only with a click of a button or a mouse or whatever on Amazon and, you know, elsewhere, right? And that can really train our minds to think that that's how Christian life works, just with a click of a finger. And if we get used to that, we will be indulging in material things and, and we'll suffer spiritually. Materialism and consumerism. And second, there's also a cancel culture in our culture, right? Uh, and to be sure, there are issues that we have to fight against and speak up against. But I think I see, I witness a lot of people these days get provoked so easily and they lash out or shun others in response to whatever they perceive to be insult. And imagine this kind of attitude and mindset coming into the church community, you know, where we're supposed to be showing Christ-like grace to one another. But if we're not careful, we could be, you know, perhaps shunning one another and there goes Christian community that we love and cherish. So again, just as Paul warns Philippian church to beware of Judaizers, we too should be on guard against unbiblical things. And we will focus especially on the attack on the core of the gospel, namely justification by faith in this passage. So know Christ alone. Second, know Christ more. So now Paul will go further to expose you know, what this doctrine that the, the Judaizers were preaching, and he will try to expose the spiritual bankruptcy. And now his weapon will be himself, his own autobiographical story, testimony, because as we'll see, he used to be one of them. Verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You, you hear that kind of irony and kind of cockiness that you wouldn't expect to hear from Paul. Because he was a Jew and he lived a former life like Judaizers to some extent, and now he is telling them he has the right to criticize them because he knows what they're talking about and he knows how empty their view is. So he goes on, verse 5. Again, his autobiography here. He says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he was circumcised, again, the badge of honor. But not just that, on the eighth day, you know, he was, rather his parents were keeping the law to the T. And that shows that Paul is not just, you know, an individual. He, his whole family was a devout uh, 
Jewish family. And then he says in the verse that he's of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and a Hebrew of Hebrews. All this to say that Paul uh, was a pure blood Israelite, uh, not a muggle. Um, got it? Okay. Right, the tribe of Benjamin, by the way, uh, was a prominent tribe. He mentions that because uh, Benjamin produced the, the Israel's first king, Saul. Uh, we studied the book, right? The book of Samuel's, uh, Samuel. And uh, in addition, Benjamin uh, in his territory included the city of Jerusalem. So it was a prominent tribe and Paul was part of that. And he also says a Hebrew of Hebrews. This likely means that Paul spoke the Hebrew language or, or its variant Aramaic and as opposed to only speaking Greek, which was kind of like English at the time. That means that Paul and his family try hard to resist getting assimilated into the surrounding culture. They try to keep the purity of their tradition and their religion. So what this, mean, what this verse means is that Paul has a perfect religious Israelite family that he can take pride in. But not only that, Paul himself performed well too. Verse 6, along with the last sentence of verse 5, it says, As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So here are the accomplishments of Paul. First, he kept the law strictly as a Pharisee. When you hear the word Pharisee, you know, it may sound negative because of you know, your exposure to this group in the Gospels and how they're you know, opponents of Jesus. But the Pharisees were actually highly respected at that time by people because they're known for uh, you know, keeping, taking God's law seriously. And, and Paul, being a part of this group, you know, followed their suit and kept the law well. And second, as to zeal, he persecuted the church. This means Paul went extra miles, went further as a Pharisee. In Old Testament, you know, the guy named Phineas and also Elijah, prophet Elijah, were commended for their zeal in that they killed rebels and idolaters in Israel, purging evil in the nation for God. So that was sort of a model. And Paul must have regarded Christians as heretics and blasphemers because they were worshiping Jesus as, as their God. So he went after them and he, you know, uh, persecuted them. He even killed them thinking that he would earn more brownie points from God for doing so. And third and last, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This does not mean that Paul was sinless, uh, but that he kept all the rules perfectly so that no one could blame him for any wrongdoing. So in his world, in his you know, society and community, Paul did everything right. He was perfect and people must have praised him. Have you guys heard of this person named Johnny Kim? Johnny Kim. Uh, he recently became the first Korean-American astronaut for NASA. But before he became an astronaut, he was also, or he, I guess he still is, a medical doctor 
from Harvard Medical School. Furthermore, he is a Navy SEAL with a silver star and bronze star, well decorated. And he's pretty looking, I admit it. And I, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure his body's really fit too, you know, being a Navy SEAL, right? And I'm like, man, it's so unfair. He's like total package. Uh, and, but I was also relieved that he wasn't successful when I was growing up because I'm pretty sure my parents would have used him to make me or to tell me to become a doctor astronaut or something like that. But man, perfect guy. And Apostle Paul in this passage, after you know, hearing what he said, he would have been a Jewish Johnny Kim, right? You know, in his own community, he was you know, highly successful in his accomplishments, and he had the perfect you know, family background too. And then we hear in, in the book of Acts that he was educated under the leading uh, Pharisee scholar of the day, meaning he went to Jewish Harvard at the time. And he would have been a role model, right? So some parents in the community would have said to, the, to their kids, hey, be like Uncle Paul. But most importantly, Paul himself would have believed that God would or should surely accept Paul for salvation and further that he should reward Paul for all these things. That's what the Righteousness under the law means in the text. And that's also what having confidence in the flesh means. And this is the worldview that Paul grew up in and, and thrived in. But now, look at what Paul says next in the next few verses. Something drastic happened in his life. Verses 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here, Paul, I need you to notice the, the accounting terms, gains and losses. It's as if Paul has a balance sheet or a bookkeeping spreadsheet in front of him. And he's writing down, you know, all the gains and losses in his life. And he surely would have thought all the, you know, human achievements that we just talked about should be in the gains column. And he would have thought that God should be looking at this, you know, sheet too. And that God should you know, concur with Paul that this is all gains. But then when Paul met Christ, as we see in the book of Acts, when he experienced conversion on the road to Damascus, he realized that he had his balance sheet, spiritual balance sheet, flipped. Meaning, all the wrong things were in the gains column when they should be all in loss column. So he corrects it now. He says, now he counts all these credentials, but in fact, everything in his life as loss. Because, the reason is because these things are distractions to 
knowing Christ. He declares the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And by the way, the knowing someone in the Bible goes beyond the intellectual knowledge, right? Uh, it means you know, having a personal, intimate relationship with someone to the point that in the Bible, this word knowing can be used as a euphemism for having sex. So you see, Paul you know, must have experienced you know, true satisfaction and joy in this relationship with Christ because he goes on in the later in this passage we just read, that he calls all these things that he used to take pride in rubbish. Actually, the better way to translate rubbish there is dumb in, in its filth and smell. Meaning Paul, again, yearns for Christ so much so that he doesn't want to lose that you know, exclusive relationship with Christ that he considers these things as dung. He doesn't want to even go near them. You don't play with dung. You don't want to go near and, and, and smell the, the bad smell. That's how Paul is considering all the other things because of that true, pure satisfaction that he experiences with Christ in his relationship. And in fact, he gives the... If there was a subjective reason why he... Uh, considers other things as rubbish. He now also gives objective reason why they are rubbish to him. It's because uh, these things cannot achieve salvation for him. Only Christ can. So he goes on in verse 9. He says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Meaning previously, Paul had this manufactured righteousness. You know, he excelled in keeping the law and he thought God owed him righteousness. God owed him salvation. But the problem that he didn't realize at the time was the death of his sin. No human efforts can possibly cover one's sin. And we, we see that rather graphically in Genesis 3. The story goes like, after Adam and Eve sinned, they're trying to cover their nakedness, their, their you know, pitiful nakedness with the fig tree leaves. And, and by the, the fig tree leaves look like this. It's very indented. It's, it's very pitiful way of hiding your shame and your nakedness. And they were doing that. And again, it didn't work. It's only when Jesus becomes fully man and lives a perfect life under the law for us and that we receive by faith His perfection. That's how salvation happens. So again, in, back in Genesis 3, instead of fig tree leaves, God covers human beings with what? Animal skin. Much better covering. God is telling us to receive salvation, not earn or boast in these tools that you think you can um, be saved by. Only Christ and our faith in Him can be the gains column. And everything else that we rely on for security, self-worth, 
salvation is lost and dung, in fact. If you've been following the news past few days, uh, you might have heard that Prince Philip uh, of the UK has passed away. And, and I took some time, you know, I, I knew about him a little bit, uh, but, so I took some time to read about him and you know, his life and you know, look through some pictures of him uh, when he was younger. And, and my first impression was, I was impressed. I was like, man, you know, what a life he lived. You know, he, held all, he had all the privileges as you know, prince or duke. You know, he was a husband to the queen of England or the UK. And you know, he also served his nation uh, rather well, I think. Um, you know, in, in a variety of ways. And, you know, generally people applauded him and cherished it. So I was like, oh, well, you know, again, he's not perfect from what I read, but wow, you know, what a life. But I remember as I was looking away from these articles and pictures, that's when I realized he's dead now. Not to be, you know, crude here, but he's gone along with all the external titles, honors, and accomplishments. Gone. And not just for Prince Philip, maybe Jeff Bezos, or just name all these people that we could maybe look to with admiration. And then I imagined Prince Philip standing in front of God. And God would be calling him, Philip, a man. Not prince, not duke, not my lord, your majesty. No, just Philip, a man. And at that point, the only thing that would matter for Philip is what he did about Christ while on earth. Nothing else. So I want to ask us, if you were to look at your spiritual balance sheet, what would it look like? Would your sheet be flipped? You know, having wrong things in your gains column like Paul did in his former life? And if you do have the sheet in the right columns, you know, what would go into your lost column? You know, what do you do to be justified before God and before men and before, even before yourself, even before your own standards? Is that relationship? Is that career? Is that material things? Is that family? Is that your morality? This goes on and on. Whatever your heart desires. And of course, these things are not bad, right? God created them. But they become bad when we make them ultimate, when we look to them for our fulfillment, salvation, identity, security. And when you lose them, you lose your worth. What would that be? And as you think about your balance sheet, I, I do want to assure you though, as you think about them, as you try to respond to this, I believe your job is not to try to balance your losses out with your gains. What I believe from the scripture is repentance. Repentance means when you repent from your heart, God will wipe away everything on your lost, uh, lost column. You don't have to balance it out. 
everything remains in your gains column because of your relationship with Christ. What freedom? So know Christ more as the surpass, uh, surpassing worth in your life. And lastly, know Christ deeper. So again, we are to boast and trust in Christ alone, not other things. And Paul also exhorts us to grow deeper in knowing Christ in our personal relationship with them. Now in this last section, Paul will tell us how we can grow deeper with them. And the answer might be surprising slash uncomfortable. His answer for our growth is suffering. Verse 10. He says, That I may know him, again, no language, know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So here in this sentence, it's quite long with the different clauses, but we can see right away that knowing Christ is related to these three things. Uh, Knowing the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, and lastly, becoming like him in his death. And they all sound jumbled up, but when you put these things together, it's actually pretty simple what Paul is trying to say. First, the Bible forewarns that Christ's followers inevitably will go through various tribulations, no exceptions, before they enter the kingdom of God. And through these afflictions, they are to share in Christ's sufferings, meaning they're walking on the road of suffering like Jesus did for God, for our salvation. That's the pattern that Christ followers follow. But the Bible also says, also reminds that Christ followers have God's power in them through the Holy Spirit. And this power, as we saw last week, or as we experienced last week, it's the very power that God exerted to raise Jesus from the dead. That's the power available for Christians. So when you put this together, what this means is that Christ followers, as they go through you know, various sufferings in their lives, you know, they go through them, they overcome them, not by themselves, but by the power of His resurrection. That's the reality. And last of all, through it all, through this process of dying and rising again, Christ followers become more like Christ in their character, you know, as they continuously say no to their old self. I believe that's what that means when he says, becoming like him in his death, meaning just as Jesus died on the cross, we die to our old self. We say no to the remaining sins and thereby becoming more like Christ. All this to say, suffering is what enables Christians to experience God's resurrection power and become more like Christ. And verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And the promise is that after this journey of dying and rising again, suffering and becoming more like Christ, 
in the end, we will be ushered into the final bodily resurrection. That's the promise. That's the end goal for all Christians. By the way, uh, the phrase there, by any means possible, um, it may sound like Paul is doubting you know, the resurrection that's going to happen, but it's rather he's certain about uh, the coming resurrection, but he's rather uncertain about how he will get there. He could be getting there you know, through Jesus coming back before he dies, or he could be getting there you know, after he dies or things like that. So uh, just to be clear. So that's it. Paul is declaring for us how we grow um, as Christ followers. It is through suffering by the power of the resurrection and as a result, um, becoming more like Christ. Uh, there's a family that my family spent a lot of time with growing up, uh, especially when I was a teenager. And one day, uh, we were just hanging out as families and and uh, somehow the conversation became um, about God. And the dad of that family um, just started sharing with us that, um, you know, though he attends church, you know, he has a hard time getting serious about God uh, because he, he never really had, you know, serious problem or suffering in his life. You know, he had a small business going, um, you know, that was fairly successful and his kids seemed fine at the time. So things were generally, you know, working out for him. So he didn't really feel the urge to, you know, trust God and his power. And I still remember as he was sharing this, I think in the back of my mind, I was like kind of whispering, oh man, I think you gotta be careful what you wish for. You know, you know that feeling like, oh man, what if like, like some bad sufferings happen to you? Because you are saying now that, you know, it's not there for you in your life right now. That weird feeling, you know? And of course, a few years later, uh, after that conversation, indeed a suffering came to him. Uh, the, the son, his son, the son of the family, who was around my age actually, uh, he started having a lot of dissatisfaction about his, about his life. So he, he joined the, the Marines and you know, went to Afghanistan and he came back. And he started buying a lot of like semi-automatic guns and just collecting them and saying some, some weird things about different things. And I was really worried about him. I was like, man, you know, what if he, you know, turns into like a mass shooter or something like that? And praise God that didn't happen, but I was just really worried. And, you know, you can imagine if I was worried, his family would be even more worried. And, and that was definitely a trying time for his family and for this dad. And... Ever since then, I lost contact with the family, and and I'm not sure what happened to them or to, you know, their faith in Christ afterwards. Uh, but regardless, you know, as, as I was thinking about this family, it made me wonder, you know, if God really loved this family, this this dad in particular, and if God, in His good sovereignty, that, um that suffering had to happen in order for him to go deeper in his faith in Christ, then it follows that suffering had to come and it came. And my tough conclusion in that situation is it was hand of God. It was loving hand of God so that this dad could experience Christ and 
resurrection power. Hopefully. Suffering. And lately, uh, for me personally, you know, I've been thinking a lot about some afflictions, if I can call it that, uh, afflictions in my life. Um, I don't know if it's a seasonal thing, but I've been thinking a lot about it past you know, a few weeks. And uh, I think I've been thinking specifically about some of the um, times when some people, you know, hurt me, like through their words and th- their treatment. Uh, and I was like really suffering at the time, I remember. And as I was kind of you know, thinking about these, you know, tough times in the past, um, I-, I think I was just seriously asking God, because just thinking about them, you know, hurt me, you know, I don't know if you know that feeling. And I was asking God, God, were those times necessary? Because right now it just feels like all I have left from those experiences is bitterness and sadness. Were those necessary? Uh, And then I I stumbled upon this video uh, on YouTube uh, in which a person was giving a speech as he was leaving uh, his church community. And this one line, he said, caught my attention. You know, as he was, you know, bidding his farewell, uh, he said, guys, to, to the church community, you know, we've had some ups and downs, but you guys made me more like Christ. And I sincerely thank you for that. And let me tell you, that was like one of those aha moments for me. Because I feel like God was speaking to me through uh, this this speech, meaning God was clearly using, you know, various relational struggles for this person uh, within the church to make him more like Christ. It wasn't a waste. It wasn't unnecessary. And, and this person was able to see this at the end of his time at church. And likewise, I was hoping and envisioning myself at the end of my life that I would be thinking about all the, you know, hurtful things or afflictions, again, if I can call them that. Um, and, you know, even through all those hurts, I could be, by God's grace, saying, thank you, God. You used all those things, all those heartaches for me to make me more like Christ than to make me know him deeper. So could I ask you, could I ask those who are listening, could could you think of maybe one person or one situation that just thinking about it, you know, makes you hurt or makes you feel that pain in your heart right now? You know, any relational problems or you know, financial health related or you know, any afflictions that you experienced. And can I, could I ask you, as you do that, to, to also ask, how has God used or how could God be using these things, these painful things, you know, in order, in his goodness, in order to you know, make us more like Christ and draw us deeper to Him. And I don't want to discount your pain as you do this, but I think it's encouraging 
also and necessary to see God's sovereign hand in your life for your best, for your good, knowing Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So again, Paul is challenging us here to seek Christ alone among all the other things and seek Christ deeper even through suffering because he is worth it. And may that be our walk with him as we seek him and walk with him. Let's pray together. Spend some time um, in reflection of what the word says and I think there could be different responses. Uh, maybe for some of us, um, you know, this passage and what Paul said, um, you know, is rebuking um, to seek him more. Uh, stop, you know, seeking after this uh, rubbish um, things do, that do not last, and and seek the ultimate pleasure knowing Christ. If for some of us, um, I think your prayer might be that, uh, God, give me the desire. I know this is the right thing to do. I know I need to be seeking Christ. But my heart is uh, in many ways callous or um, I need something. I need essentially the Holy Spirit to spark my heart to desire Christ as my treasure, as the surpassing worth. And maybe for some of us, lastly, I was just thinking about different sufferings. And it's definitely hard to fathom and um, even feel like explaining away, saying that it's worth it and God is using it. Uh, it may sound like a platitude. Um, may God as God comforts you, may God also give you hope that your current or past or future sufferings are not uh, aimless or purposeless, but God has a definite purpose for your good, for His glory. Can we pray that? And uh, uh, we'll end with the song. Close our time together in prayer. Um, just, I think just yesterday, one of my boys was playing with my phone. He downloaded this thing. I think it's like a Would You Rather app. It's an app that asks you a bunch of Would You Rather questions and asks you like two different options and you're supposed to pick one. And it's just for fun, you know. It's like, would you rather be an adult for the rest of your life or would you rather be a kid for the rest of your life? That was one of them. And, and he's like, oh, if I'm an adult, then I'll have responsibilities. And that's no good. But if I'm a kid, can't really do much. <laughs> So it's like struggling, would you rather? Uh, can't get what you want. You always have to ask for permission, things like that. I think this text is basically a would you rather text. You know, it's asking us, would you rather? And then it's holding up a lot of different things. Would you rather have this or would you rather have Christ? And we're supposed to answer that. Would you rather have this item that you possess or would you rather have Christ? Would you rather have this person or would you rather have Christ? Would you rather have the successful accomplishment of this ambition 
in your life or would you rather have Christ? And it's just a, a series and it never ends. He's constantly asking us over and over again, everything you can possibly think of. And, uh, and Paul comes to the conclusion, it's always Christ. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And I think, um, I think church, coming to church, one of the effects of coming to church sometimes is supposed to show us how out of shape we are. How spiritually out of shape we are. And uh, if we hear the, the verses and what Paul is saying to us and if our hearts don't beat with the desire for Christ. After every question, if the conclusion is, isn't, I'd much rather have Christ then it reminds us of how, how out of shape we are, how we need to get back into the Word, and allow the Spirit to ignite a fire within our hearts that we might want more of Christ. Let's just pray together for a moment for the Spirit to help us to apply this sermon into our lives throughout this week. Lord, give me strength to open my Bible and get into your Word. Lord, help me to seek you you're so eager to meet with me and you're constantly inviting me into your presence. Help me to accept that invitation and dine with you. And I want to know Christ. Help me to realize in my heart the surpassing worth and the greatness of knowing Christ that all things would be considered rubbish that I may gain more of Christ. Let's pray together for that for a moment. Let's depend on the Lord for this week and the application of His Word. We'll close in prayer and benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder in recent days of the great love of God that sent Jesus to the cross for our sins. We thank you that out of your passion for your glory and out of your love for us, this gospel story, the redemption story of Jesus Christ uh, actually came to be and we can actually receive the benefits of it that we're a covenant recipients of the covenant blessings of God in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we see your passion, your desire for your glory, we pray that you would allow that to reside within us as well. Help us to desire to know Christ in such deep and intimate ways that it would be evident in the small decisions that we make in our time management, in the way that we go about making decisions for our lives, for our future. May it all be because of the surpassing worth and the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Pray that he would become more and more real to us as the gospel reality, truth is more and more real to us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Pray that you would bless every single person here, bless our church. And as we become more and more people like that, pray that you would use us to spread into this world that is apart from Christ, that Jesus Christ is greater than anything else. We start with uh, people who answer, I would rather choose Christ in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible, unchanging covenant love of the Father God, and the fellowship, the strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, both now and forever. Amen.